Thank you, Curtis. Hope that you will join me in a Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 15 to 23. And I hope you'll join me there either in print or on a device. Believe it or not, ready or not, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. The Sunday on which we commemorate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, on his way to the cross. So I think it's fitting today that we are looking at a very different kind of entry into that same city, Jerusalem. Whereas Jesus entered Jerusalem humbly, knowing the betrayal, knowing the pain, knowing the death that awaited him. This entry into Jerusalem is filled with nothing of the sort. This is pure triumph, pure pride all the way. Here's the situation. It seems as though the world has been turned upside down in Israel. Israel's greatest king, King David, the same one who as a boy slayed the giant Goliath, that same king is now leaving the throne that God had given him in humiliation. The great and mighty King David is leaving Jerusalem with his tail between his legs. He's been forced out. The king, after God's own heart, the one through whom God chose to reveal his will and his purposes, is headed to the wilderness. And who's coming in? His son, Absalom. A narcissistic celebrity filled with delusions of grandeur. Absalom is usurping the throne from his father, David. What is happening? The world seems to be upside down. How do we make sense of this? Well, at least part of what's happening here is that God sometimes allows the wicked, allows the prideful to have success beyond their wildest imaginations. And so the saying is true, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And Absalom is really big right now. And we see the truth of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 being played out. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. This is a proverb that my mother quoted to me often anytime she thought that I was acting a little too big for my own britches. Only she would quote it in the King James. Pride goeth before a fall. 
Well, that's exactly what we see playing out here. We have yet to see Absalom's fall, but it will come and it will be hard. But it doesn't take a lot of introspection or self-evaluation to shake our head at Absalom. He's really pretty low-hanging fruit when you think about it. I mean, obviously, this is not how we want to be. This is not how we want our children to be. This is not how we want anyone to live. So we need to take a deeper look if we're to really hear what God wants to show us in this. Because if we look beneath the surface of Absalom, we will see something that is present in your heart and in my heart. And something that is far more dangerous and far more deadly than anything else we see in Absalom. What is it? Pride. That's it. Pride. And what you need to know today is that left unchecked, left unchecked, pride will inflate your ego and imprison your soul. Left unchecked, pride will inflate your ego. It'll make you big. Big in your own eyes and big in the eyes of others. And all along, you, along with Absalom, are imprisoned and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. So what do we do? Pray. Pray for the grace required to humble yourself, humble your heart before the only one, the only one who can set you free and set me free. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the antidote. He is the remedy for the pride that is lurking in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and in mine. We need to check pride. So let's see how this plays out as we read together, beginning at verse 15. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with them. Then Hushai the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom said to Hushai, So this is the love you show your friend? If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people, and by all the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I served your father, so I will serve you. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the advice of Ahithophel, the advice he gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. So, let's be clear about our characters here. So we've got Absalom, the son of David, the usurper. And then we've got Ahithophel. Have fun saying that name. And who is he? He was David's most trusted advisor until he betrayed David and chose to cast his lot with Absalom. So he's coming with Absalom as they enter Jerusalem. And then we have Hushai. Who is he? Well, he's another confidant, another friend of David. And he has ulterior motives. Because if you go back just prior to this in chapter 15, when David gets word that Ahithophel has turned on him, and we can compare Ahithophel to Judas, Iscariot, to the Lord Jesus, when David gets word about him, he prays, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Thwart his plans, in other words. And then he sends Hushai back to Jerusalem. He says, look, I want you to ingratiate yourself with Absalom. Make Absalom trust you. And in this way, we're going to make plans to come back. So Hushai is not someone we should trust here. He is a deceiver, and he deceives Absalom. So those are the characters. And notice how easily Absalom believes everything Hushai says to him. Everything. He's completely duped. And what you and I need to see here in, this, in these verses is that Absalom was too big to hear the truth. Absalom was too big to hear the truth. And if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we also can be too big to hear the truth. We can be too inflated with our own sense of self-worth, our own self-love, to really hear the truth. Everything that Hushai says to Absalom is twisted by Absalom in a very narcissistic way. He hears what he wants to hear. And what Hushai says in Hebrew is actually even more ambiguous than our English translation shows us. Because he doesn't actually come out and lie, believe it or not. Everything he says is subject to a double meaning. Look at it. Long live the king, long live the king. Now when he says king, what does Absalom hear? Me! Oh, oh, this is my father's friend, now he's with me? Oh, this is perfect. Now I've got Ahithophel, whose advice is like the advice of God. I've got him on my team, and now I've got Hushai. <laughs> it's a dream come true. What could go wrong? But he does question just a little bit. Is this the love you show your friend? Meaning David, is, is this really your loyalty? If you're loyal to David, why didn't you go with him? He's got just enough self-awareness 
to question it. What does Hushai say in response? No, the chosen one of the Lord by these people and all the people of Israel, his I will be and I will remain with him. Now, who does Hushai mean? David. Oh, yes. But what does Absalom hear? Me, me, me. Me, me, me. And, again, and then in verse 19, it literally says, I serve before the face of your father, and so also I'll serve before the face of you. What he's saying is, I'm going to keep serving David. I'm going to keep serving your father. But Absalom can't hear it. Because he's too big. He's too inflated. He's too puffed up to hear the truth. Now, we would never, ever be duped like that, would we? This could never happen to us. We're way too sophisticated. We're way too shrewd. We would never be like Absalom, would we? Be careful. Be careful. Because what you need to know about yourself is that you will always gravitate toward what you want to hear. You will gravitate toward what makes you feel safe, what affirms your ego. Yeah? And this is true whether or not you're a Christian. And so often people come to church wanting to be affirmed. They want to feel good after a worship service. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want anybody to step on their toes. They want a warm and fuzzy feeling, right? Be careful. Do you want to hear the truth? Or do you want to hear what you want to hear? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And something else we need to remember is that we may think discipleship teaching and learning what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, we may think that's something we do in the church. And it happens maybe for a given hour on Sunday morning, maybe we're a part of a Bible study, but that's discipleship, right? Oh no. Discipleship is 24-7. And that means every single one of us, if we are committed to following the Lord Jesus, needs to be especially careful what we're watching, what we're hearing, how we're learning to view the world. It's happening all the time. And we are tragically naive, tragically naive if we think or if we teach our children that discipleship just happens here. And, and it doesn't carry over to home or to the workplace. Everything that you hear, everything that you put in is shaping you. Do you realize that? Be careful. Because we're all like Absalom. We tend to live in our own echo chambers. We tend to live in our own silos. We tend to read news that affirms what we believe already. We tend to be with people who think the way we think. And to some extent, that's human nature and that's not wrong. But just be self-critical enough to know that about yourself. 
Know that about yourself. We are all like Absalom. We can all be too big to hear the truth. Be careful. Well, Absalom hears everything he wants to hear. And then in verse 20, he says uh, to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? And it's somewhat humorous because now that he's in Jerusalem, he's got the throne, he doesn't know what to do with it, right? He's sought this power. He's put all this effort into garnering political support for himself, and now he's clueless as to what he should do now. So Ahithophel, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And Ahithophel gives him this grievously sinful advice. He tells him to sleep with his father's concubines. And these are the concubines that David had left to take care of the palace. And he says, the reason for this is that all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious. You've become a stench, literally. In other words, you have driven the wedge between yourself and your father to the point of no return. There's no going back on this. You've taken the sword out and you've thrown away the scabbard, in other words. That's what he's saying. And of course, this is what Ahithophel wants because Ahithophel is invested in Absalom winning. Because if Absalom and David were to be reconciled, what would happen? Well, Ahithophel would be out of a job, right? So his advice is, Absalom, this is what you need to do to really open up the breach between you and your father. And Absalom tragically goes along with it. Doesn't ask a question. Doesn't suspect any ulterior motive. He just does it. And the reason is because Absalom is too big to consult God. Absalom is too big to consult God. So he turns to Ahithophel. And what we see is that this is what the very best of worldly, human wisdom will give you. And don't neglect that detail. This all-important detail. Now, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. People are putting Ahithophel on par with God. Now, we may think that's ridiculous. But are you too big to consult God? To what extent is your life and the decisions that you make driven by worldly wisdom? What makes sense from a worldly point of view? And and to what extent is it driven by what God has revealed? And we can ask the same question of a church. To what extent... Are we functioning because we're functioning like any other organization, like any other business? Versus what, to what extent are we unique in how we make decisions and how we live? This is an all-important question today. 
an all-important question. Because there's a lot of hand-wringing these days in churches and among Christian people. Because people just don't go to church like they used to. And that was true pre-COVID. And so everyone's wondering, well, what's going to be left post-COVID if we ever get there, right? And people are wondering, well, the younger people just don't seem to come like they used to. Where are the millennials? Where's the next generation? And so, so many churches embark on this frenzied attempt to try to be relevant to more people, especially younger people. And, and we start to think, okay, we got to think about our programs. Okay, do we have a good children's program? Do we have a good student ministry? Do we have good music? What's the quality of the preaching? How's our building? Are we offering everybody what they want? And what so often happens is that in our frenzied attempt to make ourselves relevant and offer something to everybody, we have failed to offer the one thing that they need most. The words of eternal life. If what you want is a community group, if what you want is friendship, if what you want is a support group, well, you can find that outside the church. You don't need the church. If what you want is a political action committee, if what you want is social activism, if what you want is a charitable organization, well, you don't need the church. You'd be better off without it. The church won't get in the way when it challenges your assumptions. No, there is only one institution given by the Lord Jesus through which and in which the words of eternal life, what you need to hear most of all, what I need to hear most of all, is to be proclaimed boldly, but so often we think, oh, that's boring. I mean, everybody's heard that, right? You can't preach that anymore. we got to be relevant. And bottom line is we're just too big to consult God. We know better than God. You can't, you can't base your life on some ancient book like this. Don't you know this was written so long ago at patriarchal times? It's anti-scientific. You can't trust this. Ever heard that? Ever thought that way? Be careful. Are you too big to trust God and consult His Word? His Word that is true and trustworthy. But in the end, if you don't, well, get ready for the advice that Ahithophel gives, which is all about self-interest, all about self-preservation, all about what is best for you, what is best for him. And the danger is this. The danger is this. What we see in Ahithophel and what we see in Absalom is how simultaneously our contemporary view of human beings is both too low and too high. It is too low and too high. It is, it is too low in the sense that we tend to treat human beings as though we are the most highly evolved creatures on this planet, and that's it. Whereas 
The Bible says we are created in the image of God. Every single human being, no matter what they've done, no matter how they live, every single human being is worthy of respect and dignity. But look how Ahithophel and Absalom treat human beings. They see these concubines as a means to an end. They're only highly evolved animals after all. You can do as you please. And simultaneously, we put too high a view on human beings. As, as though there is no God. We leave God out of the equation altogether. And we're the best. That means the best that human ingenuity and human wisdom can conjure up and create. That's the best. That's the pinnacle. Be careful. This is what happens when you leave God out of the equation. And this leads to the next thing we need to see in Absalom. And that is that Absalom is too big to worry about judgment. He is too big. He is too inflated. He is too imprisoned to bother with wondering if he will ever face the consequences of what he does here. And as we look at this, we can see layer upon layer upon layer of sin. Ahithophel's advice is grievously wrong. It takes advantage of human beings and these women. Absalom's engagement here his senseless, thoughtless tactics are sinful. Everything about this is grievously wrong. But nobody, not Ahithophel, not Absalom, is thinking about, is there a God who's watching? Oh no, they, they can't be troubled by that. They've got power to grab. They've got politics to do. They've got enemies to annihilate. And as we read about this violent sin against women, we can't help but be reminded of contemporary violence against women, such as we are hearing about out of Atlanta. And more specifically, violence against Asian women. It should break our heart. But what should break our heart even more is that the individual who committed the crime was a baptized member of a Baptist church. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. As someone who would claim to be a follower of Jesus, and yet someone who seems incapable of taking responsibility for his own Lust. This is where the best of human wisdom leads. It leads to taking advantage of people. It leads to failing to reckon with your own sinfulness and the pride in your own heart. And one troubling reality, it should trouble every single one of us, 
is that when we think about God's judgment, our posture tends to be, there's just, there's just no way. I mean, God is just too nice to condemn a good person like me. God is just too nice to exact his judgment against a good churchgoer, right? God is just too nice to send anybody to hell, right? To eternal punishment. And what we've done in thinking that way is that we've turned biblical thought on its head. The way Scripture looks at it is to say, how can God save anybody, let alone me? That's the mystery. That's what we should be in awe of. That God could save me. That God would pour out His mercy on me. But I'm afraid that churches are filled right now with people who aren't willing to concede the truth of what God's Word says about us. Namely, that we are fallen, depraved sinners. And that we all deserve God's condemnation. And they don't want preaching that touches on that. Oh no. Oh no. The church needs to be about other stuff. And so the proclamation of the Word of God tends to get squeezed. We have bigger fish to fry, right? We need to be relevant. People don't want to be preached to. Be careful. We hear what we want to hear, don't we? We're too big. We're too big to hear the truth. We're too big to consult God. We're too, too big to worry about judgment. The judgment that awaits you and awaits me, you cannot escape it. It is for every single one of us. And if you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say this. It is only when you concede the truth of what God says about you and about me as a sinner that you will ever be convicted of your sin. And it is only when you are convicted of your sin that you will be convinced that you need a Savior. And it is only when you are convinced that you need a Savior that you will confess Jesus Christ as your only hope. But so often, we don't get there because so many people in church even have never had real conviction of sin. Their hearts have never really been broken over their offense against a holy and righteous God. Oh, we baptize them. Oh, they're on the church roll, sure enough. There's no discipleship. There's no living it out beyond these walls. God's judgment is real, and it awaits every single one of us. And at the end, when you stand before God, there is only one hope, and that's the Lord Jesus. There is only one who can free us. Consider what Jesus says to some people who believed in him. They said, Jesus, we're, we're on your team. Listen to what he says. This is John 8, verse 31. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. 
They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. And don't miss this, because you have no room for my word. You want to be free of this pride that inflates your heart and imprisons your soul? There's a way out. It's the Lord Jesus. But in order to receive the Lord Jesus, you have to be willing to admit that you are a slave of sin. You're in bondage to sin. Or are you too big to say that? I mean, after all, we're 21st century people. I mean, many of us have college degrees. We've got advanced degrees. We're not, we're not in bondage to anyone. We're, we're members of a church. We've been baptized. We teach a Sunday school class. We're a deacon. We're not, we're not in bondage to anyone. Be careful. It's that same Pride and same sense of self-satisfaction, of failure to have your heart broken by your sin that leads to a great fall. So I ask you, is there room in you right now for the word of the Lord Jesus or not? Are you too big? Are you too big? God, have mercy on us and protect us from being too big so that we are protected from the fall and the destruction that awaits everyone who refuses God's offer of mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for more room for His Word. Amen? Pray for more room for His Word in your heart and in your life. And He is faithful. He is faithful. He looks upon the brokenhearted and the humble and He will look upon you if you will call to Him for salvation. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, convict us. If we have never been convicted before, convict us now of the reality that in the things we have said and the things we have done and the things we failed to say and failed to do, we have fallen short of your glory. And we don't just sin, Lord, we are in sin, and we know that there is only one power that can rescue us, and that's the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. But even as we confess that, Lord, that there's only one way, you alone have that power, we confess that we are responsible here in this moment for how we respond. So I pray that no one here, no one with an earshot of this message would turn away or walk away without coming face to face with the goodness of your offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, without coming face to face with the power of the blood of Jesus, the blood that can atone for our sins and that can wash even the vilest sinner clean. 
impress upon our hearts that that is what we need above all. That is what your church needs to proclaim and be about and emphasize above all. Forgive us for our fruitless efforts to be something we're not, to try to cater to the needs of the world instead of being your church in the world. Convict us, Lord, as we confess your power to redeem and to transform. We thank you for the hard truths of your word because we know it is through those hard truths that we can receive your grace and your mercy that we so desperately need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.